0: Amen. Thank you so very much for that good song. Thankful for the freedom that we have in Christ. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 20. Deuteronomy, chapter 20. I failed to mention we should pray for Brother Rasmussen as well. He has a vertigo. That's why the Rasmussens aren't here this morning. And so apologize for failing to mention that earlier in the service. Deuteronomy, chapter 20. And uh, today is, is a special day. We haven't mentioned it in the service, the, the, at least that I caught uh, wind of, or perhaps while uh, I was a little late getting back from Sunday school, maybe it was mentioned when I wasn't here. But uh, today is Veterans Day, and uh, we have a couple of veterans here this morning. Uh, thank you for thankful for Brother John and and uh, Brother John. Well, how, that worked out really nice. That was convenient. I could have just said Brother John once, and then uh, neither one would have known which one I forgot. So, <laughs> thank the Lord for our veterans. I think that's all our veterans. If you, did I miss anybody? Uh, nobody's nobody's pointing. So, um, so. Uh, we're going to talk about some laws that God gave us for, for warfare. Isn't that good? Since we're all going into, into the military, right? I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Deuteronomy chapter 20, and beginning in verse 1. When thou goest out to battle against thine enemies, and seest horses and chariots, and a people more than thou, be not afraid of them, for the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be when ye are come nigh unto the battle, that the priest shall approach and speak unto the people, and shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, ye approach this day unto battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint, fear not, and do not tremble, neither be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Amen. I'd like to speak to us by the help of the Lord about forming a shield for our soldiers. Forming a shield for our soldiers. Father, we thank you so much. For your word, we're thankful that whatever we might face, whatever we may be called to go through in this life, that you have provided provision for us. We thank you for the church families that, that in the midst of our times of need, have stood in the gap and prayed for us, and, and you have answered their prayers and met our needs. And I ask, Lord, that you'd help us this morning as we endeavor to rightly divide the word of truth, that you would somehow, some way, cause the truth to find a resting place in our hearts, and that we might be obedient to your voice. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. What is our duty to our soldiers and to our veterans? What is our responsibility? What is our part? I, I thought a lot about that this week as, as we were uh, coming up on Veterans Day. Veterans Day doesn't often fall on a Sunday. And uh, I know it's a, a holiday that can get skipped by pretty easily because it's not one that, unless you work for the post office, you don't get the day off. And those holidays we don't get off it seems like it's harder to remember that they that they're on our calendars. But as I thought about our responsibility to our veterans, to our soldiers. I was marvelled at this passage. Now, I I think it's easy for us to read a passage such as this and say, what does that have to do with us? We're not facing armies. We're not facing tanks. We're not facing any of those things. What does this scripture have to do with us? But I was caught by the responsibility of the priest. And I suppose there would be a temptation this, this morning for us to say, the priest means the pastor now. But that's not what Peter says. Peter tells us that we all are a royal priesthood. And if I understand that correctly, it suggests to me that many of the commandments for the priest, now certainly not the sacrifices and the ceremony, but many of the calls of the priest to serve the people fall on our shoulders now not just the pastor not just conference leadership and, and, and denominational leadership and those that have, that that we would we would love to uh you know say it's their job let's let's just go on with our lives all of us are part of a royal priesthood and so what was the priest's job to do he stood before the soldiers and he said, don't be afraid. When you see them come out with horses and chariots, don't be afraid for them. Do you know what's amazing? In just a little, this is, this is Moses. Deuteronomy is Moses' last sermon to the people before he he's, uh, passes on and Moses, or Joshua takes over leadership. So you go to the book of Joshua, and you go to the book of Judges, which are the, 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 just the years that are after this, and what happens? You see repeatedly, they could not defeat them because they had chariots of iron. Now Moses has already said that the priests were supposed to say, don't be afraid for the chariots of iron. It was a new technology in that day. Yes, they had chariots. But this was a new kind of chariot. And I don't understand all the details of it, but these were much more lethal. And they allowed, I believe, if I understand correctly, they allowed for archers to be able to get in close, fire their uh, arrows, and then escape, reload, and come back. Well, if you're only a footman and you've got a sword or a spear, you're at a disadvantage you know, and you've got guys with arrows. It's, the Arrows are, uh, are bad when it's close range. When you're, when you're at a distance, they're great. But, and so now they have these new chariots that allow them to get in, tack, and get, a, get away. And Israel would have a lot of problems with these chariots. But they didn't have to. They didn't have to have problems with these chariots. But they forgot, they forgot that Moses said that the priests were supposed to stand before the people and say, don't be worried about their horses. Don't be worried about their chariots. And I believe that God has called us this morning to put a shield around our soldiers and our veterans in the place of prayer. Prayer and a place of encouragement and support. I think there's a temptation for us as our nation gets we, uh, more wicked and, and, and leaves its, it leaves its uh, Christian roots. I think there's a real temptation for us to pray less for our country, to pray less for those that would be our politicians, or pray for less for those that would be our soldiers? I think there's a real temptation as we become maybe disappointed in the direction of our nation to just not pray the way we used to. You know, it's amazing to me that when a certain party gets elected as president, I won't say which, You'll hear people say, we need to pray for our president. But when the other party gets elected as president, we'd say, we need to pray for our country. What? (laughs) It's a subtle change. And probably one that we're not even conscious of. It's probably subconscious. But you think about it, how often when it's a certain political party do we hear, pray for our president, we need to pray for our president, and it's the other one, when it's the other party, pray for our country, pray for revival. The Bible says to pray for our leaders, regardless of their political party, regardless of their moral standing. But when we feel like they're less moral than what we want them to be, our prayers for them were tempted to hold off on them. And what's sad is, is the ones that are morally less than what they should be probably need our prayers. In fact, not probably. They certainly need our prayers more than even those that would be the most godly. I don't agree with him. Well, it doesn't matter if you agree with him. He's our leader. God called us to pray for him. You know what's interesting to me? When when Israel demanded a king of Samuel, and we preached on that back in May for some of you that that can remember that far back. But when that occurred, and, and God had said to Samuel that they've not rejected you, they've rejected me. They've rejected my kingship. Samuel in that same chapter as he's talking with him, he says, as for me, I would not sin against the Lord and cease praying for you. Here they are in a moral crossroads and they have made the wrong moral choice. They have received instruction. This is not what God wants. This is not what you should do. This is gonna come at a high cost. And Samuel could have easily said, you know what? You've rejected God. You've rejected what I've tried to tell you. I've tried to give you warnings. If that's the way you want to be, I'm sorry. I'm done. And and turn around and walked away from there and and just let them do whatever they wanted to do. He, He could have done that. But Samuel says that it would be a sin against, not the people, but a sin against the Lord to not pray for those that are making a moral choice that was going to cost them dearly. And that has me this morning wondering, where do we stand? Where do we stand? In the place of prayer for those that are making choices, moral choices that we don't agree with and that we take a stand against? Have we, have we ceased praying for them because they've made choices that are wrong? I wasn't alive during the Vietnam War. I know, that makes me young. <laughs> I wasn't alive for that. But I've read how we've treated our soldiers as they came home. And it just boggles my mind. And what if we have another war that we don't agree with? And I know that there's some didn't like the second Gulf War and probably some didn't like the first Gulf War. I was pretty young when the first one was going on. And I know that we have we have our opinions on Afghanistan and Iraq and but folks the other person's moral decisions does not give us a right to stop praying for them in fact it's a call for us to dig deeper in the place of prayer i believe that the reason that we are so tempted to to not pray for those that have made poor moral decisions is because Satan is terrified of the church being uh, on fire and praying for these situations. Now, I want to be careful. I want to be really careful here this morning because I want us to understand that there's a difference between praying for and against somebody. There's a huge difference praying for somebody and praying against them. If, if you're praying for them, you're asking God to help them and to give them wisdom and direction, speak to their hearts. You're asking God to, to uh, help them to make right choices and, and to uh, go to Him. When you pray against them, you're asking God to uh, uh, frustrate their plans, work against them, not allow what they want to, uh, to happen to happen There's a difference between praying for and against. Are you saying you should never pray against some things? I'm not saying that, that, because there's certainly, there's been certain things that presidents have said they wanted to do that I've prayed and asked God to frustrate and not let happen. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that I don't pray for that same president asking God to help him and give him wisdom and direction. There's a difference between against and for. And oh, that God would help us to pray for. Not saying there's not a time to pray against. Not saying that. But I will say we better be careful when we do pray against that we have the mind of the Lord and we know that we're praying the right way and that we're not praying against God's plans. Paul got into that trouble, didn't he, when he was stirring up trouble for the church and getting letters to imprison both men and women alike, breathing out threatenings. He thought he was doing what God wanted him to do. I believe that is part of the reason God was able to so quickly get a hold of his heart is because what Paul was doing, he thought he was doing right. Oh, that God would help us that when we're, that we are careful that in our prayer time that we're praying more for than against and when we're praying against that we know that we are on God, the solid, firming, firm grounding of God's Word and His will. We pray for our soldiers. We pray for our, our president, who's commander in chief. We, God's given us that calling to to form a, a, a shield of prayer. But I wonder about our veterans when they get home. Do you know what? I think it's easy for us to forget them. They've served their time, and you know it's you know it's popular right now, especially. Uh, it's, it, well, I guess a lot of people are doing this, but to, to thank a veteran. You know, see somebody who's got a hat on or a jacket or something that indicates they're a veteran, for, to thank a veteran. I, and I enjoy doing it. But did you know that on average, 22 veterans commit suicide every day? That's incredible. It's incredible. nearly 10% of veterans have a substance abuse problem. A lot of work has been done in recent years. Not too long ago, nearly a third of homeless people were veterans. It's now down to 10%. We've done a lot of work to get that lowered, and thank the Lord for those that have done that work. But a third, at, just a few years ago, of, our, of homeless people were veterans? What happens when they come home? Do we support them in, when they're no longer serving us? The shooting that took place in California this week was of another veteran, probably with PTSD. And I don't want to make a, I don't want to make like uh PTSD means that you're going to be a, a violent. In fact, usually PTSD is just the opposite. They avoid confrontation. I'm not, I'm not trying to make, make it out like the reason that he, sh- he shot up the place was because he had PTSD. I don't know what his motives are. None of us do. Could have it have contributed? Probably. We just don't know enough about PTSD and how to treat it very well. And quite honestly, the VA hospitals are doing a terrible job treating PTSD. Was that an opportunity for the church to step in? Someone recently said something to me that really bothered me and really shook me to my core. For you that are a little older than me, you probably will remember it better. I remember just a little bit. I was, I was just, I was just a kid when it took place. But during the eighties, when the AIDS epidemic hit, that was, that was a, that was a time of of real fear and panic, wasn't it? In fact, if, if you've studied out AIDS uh, very much, you'll know that at first it was called GRID, gay-related immunodeficiency. And this individual said to me, I wonder if the AIDS epidemic was not God's judgment on the homosexuals, but was instead an opportunity for the church to reach them, and we missed it. See, most of us don't study church history. I understand that most people don't like history because they had bad history professors. That's my—that's always my argument. If you had a good t- history teacher, you love history. It is—it has to be because history is awesome. <laughs> But most of us don't know that when Christianity was in its infancy in Rome, and it was outlawed, and Christianity was was just a a sect, it was just a small group of people, and Christianity was not on the map, really. In those days, plagues would would come to cities. And of course, the rich and anyone who could got out of the city. They'd leave the cities immediately because who wants the plague? Not you, not me, right? Nobody wants the plague. I don't want the flu. I don't want the stomach bug that goes around every year. But here's what would happen. As the people would leave the cities, of course, who is left behind? The poor and the sick. And the Christians. The Christians would purposely stay there and they would treat the sick. And if, did they have medical technology? No. What did they use? They'd use cold claws, and they would and and they would uh, try to keep them cool and try to keep them comfortable. And if they had an opportunity to share Christ with them, they would. And many, many, many early Christians more died from the plagues helping them than died in the Colosseum. But we promote. Those that died for their faith in the Colosseum more than those who died of the very plagues, they could have escaped. Instead, they ran towards it instead of away from it. And what would happen is the plagues would be over, and the people that got better, they would be they would remember the love of Christ that was shown them by those that, that could have fled but didn't. And Christianity began to spread through the cities. Because instead of running from plagues, they showed love at the risk of their own health and their own life. And this individual asked, did we let fear keep us from an opportunity? When the Supreme Court ruled 5-4 to to allow gay marriage in our country, The hashtag on Twitter was Love Wins. But it didn't. Christian love failed in the 80s when we had a chance. John tells us that perfect love casteth out fear. You cannot love and be afraid at the same time. I knew a lady who said, uh, who was being uh, confronted about her poor parenting. And this is what she said. She said, when I was growing up, my father made us sure that we were deathly afraid of him. And that's the way that I'm going to raise my kids. You're not in love with someone you're afraid of. You can't love and be afraid at the same time. And too often we as the church get caught up in the emotional cycle of the news, and we become just as fearful as those that don't know God. We become just as fearful. We have another shooting, and and instead of saying, How can we help? How can we how can we minister to our veterans, the first thing that comes to mind is how do we protect our rights to have guns? Immigrants are, are marching towards America and, and uh, we're afraid of, of losing our jobs and, lose, and losing our country to, uh, to something else and, and we're so concerned and so afraid. And none of us are asking, how do we show them the love of Christ? How do we reach them for Jesus? We have allowed fear to indwell our hearts so much so that it has pushed out perfect love, which is, by the way, what holiness is. And we as holiness folks should be the first ones to be thinking, how can we show love in this situation? And instead, usually we're the first ones to jump on the fear bandwagon and be paralyzed for doing anything for Christ because we are afraid of what we will lose. But that wasn't the early church. That wasn't the early church. They said, we'll give our lives and we'll get the plague if we can lead someone to Jesus before they die. And Rome was changed and the whole world was changed by those nameless Christians that never are glorified in our songs like the martyrs of the colosseum who are not remembered in books like fox's book of martyrs they're forgotten to history all of their names and yet it was because of their willingness to put love before their fear they changed the world And I wonder if the reason that we don't see revival and I wonder if the reason that that we're not seeing God move the way that we ought to is because we're failing in Deuteronomy chapter 20. We have seen the horses and we've seen the chariots. And instead of speaking and saying that, don't be afraid of them because God is on our side. God delivered us before he can deliver us again. Instead of speaking those words, we speak, look at how big their horses are and look how many they have and look how strong their chariots are. They're made of iron. We start panicking just like everyone else. We forget who we serve. I want to be careful this morning. I really want to be careful this morning. But are you willing to face the thing you fear the most in order to have revival? to see souls won. In this epidemic of PTSD, and, they, and they're saying that perhaps between 10 and 30% of soldiers that return home have PTSD. Are we running away or are we running to? Folks, I'm not trying to guilt us into doing more. I hope, that's, I hope that's not what you're taking from this message. This is not about do more and give more. and It's not about more. This is about us finding what God would have us to do to see a change in our communities. We are the priest of our homes. We are the priest of, our, uh, of Altamont. We're the priest of, uh, of Kansas. We're the priest of, of the United States and yea, even the world. And if we are the priest, are we carrying the ark? Or have we dropped it and run away? I'm not trying to convict you. I'm not trying to point my finger at you. I, that's not my desire this morning. My desire is for, for to stir up within my own heart more love and less fear. Amen. And if... And if it takes losing our gun rights and it takes losing to the, and the Supreme Court things that we don't want to lose in order to see revival come, oh, may we embrace the very things we're afraid of. And if you know me, you know that how strongly I feel on some of these issues. It's not that I'm wishy-washy on these issues. If they're not. I don't feel that I don't feel wishy-washy on these issues at all. But what I'm trying to say is I'm willing to lose these things to see soul saved. I'm willing to lose. And to face the things that we fear the most. Listen, I'm not glorifying what happened in Nazi Germany, but God used a horrible, terrible, awful, wicked situation to bring about the nation of Israel. And I suppose that you could ask a Jewish person if it was worth it, and, and they'd probably be dis, probably disagreed upon. Some, some would probably say yes, probably some would say no. And of course, I think everyone would say, we wish it could have happened by a different means. I'm not glamorizing martyrdom and I'm not glamorizing running to, to plagues instead of away from them. I'm not, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to have a fatalistic Christianity. But I'm trying to have a Christianity that really is about love and not fear. And honestly, this morning, my, my assessment of the American church is she is so afraid. The conservative not just the conservative holiness, but the conservative churches, they're so afraid that we have lost our power in the public square because they know for what we are against, not what we're for. We've become afraid of the horses and the chariots. And just like the children of Israel that we shake our head at when we read about them in Judges, Folks, I'm afraid we're living it out ourselves because of fear. This is Veterans Day. Today to remember our veterans. But I think it's a, a call for us to remember that we have a duty to our active duty And to those that are no longer active. We have a responsibility. And do you know what I believe with all my heart? I believe that when God's people pray, God listens. I was reading about how the Allied forces were being driven further and further back during World War II. In fact, it got so bad that it was determined that we had to try to get a rescue, rescue them off from the beaches of France. They were being pushed further and further back. In fact, Hitler had his tanks within 10 miles. We were losing, and we were losing rapidly, and, and it was terrible. The decision was made that they were going to have to bring in ships. The only way they could do anything to get them out was to bring in ships and try to cross the English Channel. Now, most of us don't know much about the English Channel, but it is known for its dangerous tides. It's unpredictable, and it is not what you want to do. It's not where you want to have a rescue operation. And God put it on the heart. Of some Christians, some Welsh Christians, to begin to pray. Now we don't know why, but Hitler stopped his tanks 10 miles and didn't move them. Why? He could have decimated our allies. But for some reason, Hitler chose not to go on the attack. He always went on the attack. Why did he change his mind? And in fact, as the generals were saying that for us to rescue our men, it's going to take a miracle, and a mist went up, and all the planes of the Germans couldn't see where our troops were, and they couldn't drop their bombs on our men. And for nine days, The English Channel was as calm as glass. And all the old timers said, we've never seen that before. Nearly 400,000 of our men were rescued because there were people praying for our soldiers. And we could give numerous examples of that. But what I just want to encourage us this morning you don't feel like you can give. You don't feel like you can you can do anything about it. We can pray. And if we can do more, we should do more. And if we if God would call us to do more, we certainly have to obey his calling. But folks, we can't. We cannot fail in the place of prayer. For our soldiers, Because they're counting on us whether they know it or not. They're counting on us. And all that God would help us to run towards, just as we ask our soldiers to do, to run towards the things that they're afraid of, may we do the same as soldiers of the cross. Stand together. Amen. Brother John Mincer, would you dismiss us in prayer? mm